The fields are white unto harvest, and there are a lot of workers already that God has placed in the harvest field, and he's given us the wonderful opportunity to serve as links in the chain, in supporting roles, in, in bringing what God has given in terms of opportunities and resources and, and prayer and, and hands to serve, uh, to stand together with our brothers and sisters with the tremendous work that God is doing there. And this is an opportunity that God has for us. How how he wants to change us and use us while he's going to do what he's going to do anyway, which is to make his name glorious intimately in the lives of the people there. So he'll work around us, but he's offering us an opportunity to continue to build upon his faithfulness and his foundation. So at the cafe, uh, this is a wonderful opportunity. Don't, I, don't, I want to see them with full plates at the end of the cafe, that there's just so many opportunities and questions and talking and sharing that they, they, they're not able to eat. We'll, we'll feed them later. But, but just a great opportunity uh, to a- answer the question, well, what could one person do? Because that's how all this began, with, with, with somebody praying, well, what, in the face of all of this, what could one person do? And that's what God does with each of our, um, each of our offers of ourself. We are continuing our series in the Gospel of John. Oh my goodness, we're in chapter 6, and that's 67 verses in chapter 6. That's, that's a big one. Um, let me ask you this question, because we're going to do a very, we're going to do a, a sermonception, a sermon within a sermon, uh, to prepare for next week. There are two miracles, only two miracles, that are included in all four Gospels. Do you know what they are? I'll give you a clue. One of them is the resurrection. No-brainer, right? Kind of the core part of everything. So besides the resurrection, there's one notable man, this is divinity here, that's included in all four Gospels. Which is it? Yeah, you're looking ahead. Chapter 6, I already gave it away. Feeding of the 5,000. Right? So all four Gospels said, this is a big one. This is the most Jesus-y thing. When we're thinking of Jesus, feeding of the 5,000 stands out. Everybody knows this. And I think if you go into any old school Sunday school, uh, you're gonna, this is just one of the go-to favorite uh, lessons of Jesus. Isn't this the most Jesus-y thing possible? That there's a need, and Jesus shows up, and Jesus is magic, and, and, and everybody has this incredible, unexpected miracle, and everyone can, that proves that Jesus is God, and everybody goes home after the altar call and they lived happily ever after, right? Because isn't that the point of the story? And that's why it's been included in all four Gospels. What proves that Jesus is God? Well, you can, you can take small loaves and, and small fish and you can do amazing things with it. And what a great testimony to our lives. He takes our lives and he take, we offer them to Jesus and he takes them and he breaks them and he blesses them and he multiplies them. And that's what all of this is about. And it preaches well and that's wonderful. But the problem is that's not the point of the story. In fact, uh, the people's reaction, which we would say, hey, they got it. Jesus is going, man, you're not getting it. So the story ends with this. And they worshiped him and Jesus is going, You guys didn't get it. They were amazed and astonished. And Jesus is face-palming, divine face-palm. Guys, guys, you're just not. Um, They were in awe of Jesus. And he's he's, he's just like, man, we got to start over. What's interesting and what helps us to understand is this story is connected to the walking on the water. And then it's connected to another story right after that in different ways in all four Gospels. Wherever we see the feeding of the 5,000, immediately it's attached surgically to the story of the walking on the water. But we separate them and we say, well, here's one miracle. Jesus proves he's God by being Wonder Bread Incorporated. 
And here's another miracle in case you weren't you know, convinced. Jesus is just strolling across the lake in a storm and he's just proving his divinity and he's, you know, he's moonwalking or I don't know, whatever. He's, he's all over the place. And, and it's another miracle. Wow, Jesus is God. How did I not see that before? Okay, now the rest of the book, we're going to follow Jesus. And that's what the disciples do. And Jesus looks at them and says, guys, nothing's changed in your heart. So uh, we need to understand what's going on with the feeding of the 5,000. We need to understand why it's the same thing that Jesus was teaching with the walking on water so that we can actually get to the point of where Jesus is bringing all of us. And we're going to look at that next week. Okay, so we'll be starting probably verse 16 or so and moving forward uh, maybe a bit later. So read John chapter 6 for next week. But, but I just really quickly want to look at this. In fact, we're not even going to go with text because I'm going to get crazy bogged down. So I'm going to paraphrase. Follow along in your pew Bibles. Uh, you notice there's paperback pew Bibles? You guys see them? Do you know why they're there? So you can take them. Um, now, let me, let me caveat that. The, the, the hardcover pew Bibles, people are like a little, little hesitant to take this. Ooh, these are churchy. You know, God's going to get me if I borrow this. So we have paperback, and here's the deal. If you have a Bible, leave the Bible there because you're taking it from somebody who needs it, okay? But if you don't have a Bible or there's someone you know and you know they want a Bible and you know they don't have one, Take it, give it to them, okay? But it's, it's got to be real neat. So if you need a Bible, it's yours. Walk out of here with it. We'll get more. Um, if you know somebody that needs one, so that's what the paperback Bibles are there for. Um, anyway, follow along. Here, here's the story in a very, very, very shortened way. Uh, John the Baptist had just been executed, and this is how the, the Gospel of John divides. And Jesus was devastated, and he goes off in a quiet place. He's grieving, he's mourning, and the crowd's clamoring for him. They, they cross over uh, Lake Galilee, and uh, they come to another place, and all the crowds, because they'd seen some of the miracles, they'd heard it was Messiah Palooza, they all follow him. He's teaching them all day, this is God, this is who I am, this is the kingdom. At the end of the day, everybody uh, needs food. They've been going all day. Uh, they said there's 5,000 men, a whole crowd of people there. Uh, and so Jesus te- um, tests the disciples. He looks at Philip, and he says, well, what are you going to do about it? They need all this food. Great problem. God laid this on your heart, so maybe you want to get involved. Um, that's a good pastoral workaround, by the way. And you complain about something. I'll say, well, God clearly put this on your heart, so how does he want to use you to solve this? Um, so Jesus does this with Philip. And, and Philip's like, a half year's wages isn't going to be enough money for even each person to have one bite. What are we going to do? And then Peter says, well, hey, I found a boy. He's got five barley loaves and some fish. That's a really shameless reference to Elijah. So, so John's telling it away. So religious people are going to say, whoa, there's something deeper here doesn't concern us now. So he says, we've just got this small little meal. What are we going to do? Jesus had the people recline, pa- p- prayed for the food, said, Grace, thank you, Lord, for this food, Dominus Ominus, and distributed it, and everybody ate. Then he tells the disciples, go and gather up the leftovers. They gather up 12 baskets. Okay, 12 is pretty significant. Uh, 12 throughout all the Gospels is the 12 tribes of Israel. Okay, Elijah in the showdown at the OK Corral with the pr- pr- priest of Baal. Um, it was he, the first thing he did is he constructed a stone altar of 12 stones. And it's a sense of God called his people, okay, in this case by 12s. Uh, they didn't get it. They couldn't see past themselves, couldn't see past their own need, their own need to use God to validate them. And so anybody 
who inclines their heart to God. Anybody who says, this is who you are, this is who I am, Lord, take me. Uh, that's true Israel. So what he's telling the disciples is all the 12s. There's 12 of you. I called you 12. And you can see 12 throughout the Gospels. It's you are true Israel. You are the true seekers of God. You are the ones through whom I'm building my church. So here's a lesson for them. Immediately then it goes into they were on the lake and they were rowing and they were there six hours rowing across the lake. Um, what did all the disciples do for a living? Most of them. Fishermen. What do fishermen work? Hmm? They work on the water. Uh, where did these particular fishermen work? Lake of Galilee, yeah. So they were on their lake where they had grown up their whole lives, where they were little kids, they'd been serving daddy in the boat and their older brothers, and then now they're fishermen, and they've rowed all over this lake. There's a storm called the Sharkia, which is a cool name. It's Arabic for the shark wind. And the sh this horrible storm came down, and the disciples, oh, we've seen this before. And so they're doing what they do. They're professional, you know, sailors, I guess. And so they're just rowing, 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 rowing. They're not getting anywhere. It's getting more desperate. It's getting darker. The storm's whipping up. They're getting scared then they see this figure coming toward them this kind of glowing ah, and they're just like what 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 is this you know this is before wipers and and you know am i seeing this and they thought this is a ghost and they scream ah jesus comes toward him now mark fills out the rest of the story for us tells us that jesus was approaching them he's coming right at them and he was walking as though he was going to pass them by that's a very specific way that it's worded because the only other place in scripture we have this pass you by, and it's the exact same, is in the um, revelation of God to Moses. Mo God says to Moses, I know you by name. And so um, he grants Moses' request, show me who you are. So he says, look, Moses, you can't see me as I am and live because it's just you're going to be overwhelmed. Okay, there's still the whole sin thing. We're working that out. Ain't going to happen. But you can see my backside, so to speak. You can see the fading part of my glory. And even though that's going to be too much. So he hides him away in this cleft of a rock. We don't know what's going on. God passes by gracious, compassionate, abounding with loving kindness, visiting for a thousand generations, goodness upon those who fear me. And, and he's going on and on revealing his character. And the phrase there is that God revealed himself. The same word is to pass by. It was a full revelation of God. So the key to understand what Jesus is doing is he was walking. He was not walking toward the boat. He was deliberately walking by the boat. He had sent the disciples ahead. They had just seen this miracle. It was heady days. Wow, miracles are happening. We're following this teacher. Surely he's the promised one. And look at this. We saw the miracle up close and personal. It was a victory. And they go immediately into difficulty. And now it's all bets are off. And who is Jesus? And then Jesus is coming. And they react so differently. Well, Jesus' intent wasn't to get in the boat and save them. It was to pass them by. And he uses this phrase. He was going to reveal himself in a deeper way to them. But he had to change his plans because they weren't ready for it. They freaked out. They did not receive him as God. They saw him as a ghost. They saw him as this does not fit into who I am because they couldn't see past their own need. And so Jesus diverts his revelation and says, okay, we're going to take this down a few notches. Steps in the boat. The, the waves cease. And, and they're awed. And they're, they're worshiping him. And Jesus says, you guys failed twice. Okay, now this is the story, the, the feeding of the 5,000 that everyone goes, hey, it proves Jesus is God and it's a miracle. But notice in John what Jesus has been doing with his miracles. Only a small select group really saw what was going on. 
The wedding at Cana, it was only the steward and maybe a few others that actually knew a miracle had taken place. Everyone else just knew this awesome wine showed up. Um, the disciples, the, the woman at the well, it was a one-on-one interchange, and then the city heard about Jesus through her, and then later they came to him. That, that the healing of the man at the pool, it was just the people that were gathered there, no one else in Jerusalem, it was word of mouth. So Jesus shows a small group intimacy, the rest of that, they, they see the changed lives, they see the, the, the real impact on how Jesus changed these individuals. Okay, what was going on, I believe, with the feeding of the 5,000? They were still seeing Jesus as magic man. Okay, not magic Mike, but magic man. They, they were seeing Jesus as this uber person who was the best rabbi, the best teacher, the best embodiment of humanity that was going to do everything they wanted to do, going to free them from Rome, going to make the world the way I want it to, and I'm going to get in line behind. He's going to meet all my needs. And so there was a need. There were, the disciples were panicking. Man, this crowd's going to get ugly. They don't have food. They're, they're beyond grouchy now. It's, it's mob time. And, and there was an immediate need. We got to do this. So Jesus shows the disciples up close and personal the people saw all this food they were overwhelmed they wanted to take Jesus and make him king this proves he's the one that I want him to be but that was not the lesson that was not the purpose so Jesus rewinds it sends the disciples across the lake maybe they will learn the lesson beyond their needs this way and so there's a a, a horrible storm comes up uh, and Jesus shows up saves them and they fail the lesson again Okay, we need to understand what's going on to understand the lesson next week, okay? In the first situation with the feeding of the 5,000, they had, there was something that wasn't in their life that they wanted in their life. In this case, food. In this case, sustenance, strength, whatever. Um, so there was a lack. Lord, my life isn't the way it should be. I have a need and a lack. And if you provide this, this need for me, then, then everything's good. And so the goal was Jesus looks great. The goal was the need is met. And then I'm done. They called time. They tied up the calf. Time. And, and that's all the lesson there was. Jesus showed that he's able to meet my needs. And that's it. But the problem was none of the people because they want to take him by force, and none of the disciples, because they weren't getting who he really was, could see past themselves. They were trapped in their own need. In the first example, it was something they didn't have, and as long as Jesus can get this need into my life, then he's God, then I will follow him, then life makes sense, then it's all going to go well. And it went well, but they didn't learn the lesson. So Jesus gives them the opposite lesson when he sends them across the lake into the Sharkia, and um, which sounds like Sharkisha and Shakira. But anyway, um, and so they're anyway they're 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 terrified. These seasoned sailors, after eight hours of rowing, and they're they're going down, and they're getting tired, and they're panicking. And so now there's something in their life that they want out. It's a negative thing. Okay, there's this storm, there's a threat of death, they're getting tired. Their expertise, their experience, everything they can do to save themselves is slowly diminishing and is not enough. So there's something in their life they want away. As long as God gets this bad thing in my life away, then Jesus is God, then it all makes sense, then I'll follow him, then my need's met. And so Jesus steps into the boat, the waves cease, and they worship him. But they worshiped on the wrong side. You see, Jesus was only God to them when they got their needs met. Whether it was, there was something not in my life that I need God to give me so desperately, and it may be a good thing, 
Or there's something bad in my life that I just want out. And it may be a necessary thing or it may be a horrible thing. But the sense is the disciples and the crowds and everyone reading the book was in the same category. As long as Jesus answered their prayer the way they wanted it. Give me what I don't have. Take away what I do have. If you do this for me, then you've proven yourself to me. Then you're God. Then you're worthy of my obedience. You see, here's the great tragedy It said that Jesus was passing by to reveal himself. Every single chapter that we've been looking at in John is Jesus revealing himself. It's the same thing. Why did Jesus, why did God reveal himself to Moses? Because Moses needed his faith shoring up? Because Moses needed to be proven that God is God so he could trust him? That if if God met this one request of Moses, then, then he'd be worthy? Exodus 33, God spells it out. Because I know you by name. Because you've allowed me to know you. There's intimacy. There's trust. There's a partnership. We're together. When God called Abraham, he said, how can I not let him in on what we're doing? And and so there's this inclusion. There's this desire that I want to be more than your next need. I want to be more than just fitting the puzzle pieces together for you. I want to be more than the lottery ticket win power plea to fix my life. Because yes, as God, I can do that. But if that's all I can be for you, I can be nothing to you. Because I am nothing more than the cosmic gopher. And so Jesus had been revealing himself intimately to his disciples all this way. In a wedding, in a broken life, in, in, in a fearful uh, Pharisee, in, in, a, in, a, in a person who's just burdened by shame. In somebody who's an undeserving uh, sinner who's afflicted by, by disease. In all of these situations, there had been a more intimate revelation. This is who I am. This is how I roll. Whoever you are, whatever you're struggling with, this is the opportunity to step, to be abandoned to me, rather than continuing to feel abandoned by me. But what was shown and what was proven in each person's heart and the reason they didn't learn the lesson was it was just the point was proving Jesus God to me by meeting the miracle by by meeting me. And what nobody could get past was this fact, which is wrong. What happens in life is God. See, everybody thought what happens in life is God. So my life has to be fixed now. My life has to be fixed my way. This has to be removed. This has to be given to me. And and life has to be good in order for God to be good. And they weren't ever able to grow past themselves. Past them as being on the throne. Past God having to prove in, in the way of the most immediate need. But the revelation that Jesus had been showing them and showing them gracious with you give them something to eat. You roll the way I do. You do what I would do. Wasn't that God could prove or to meet the need, but it was to include them in intimacy. This is what it means that I am God. Not that I have power to make it happen. I could. That's not the point. But I'm willing to stoop low with you and with others that you would know me and you would put your defenses down that I could know you. To be loved by God is to be known by God. And that was the lesson. That Jesus is Jesus no matter what. No matter what's going on in my life. No matter what isn't going on in my life. His love for me is greater than anything that consumes me. And so the ultimate revelation that Jesus was teaching every single chapter. That he taught with the feeding of the 5,000. That he taught with the walking on the water. Whether it's great. Whether it's terrible. Whether it's predictable. Whether it's terrifying. Whatever it is. What happens in life is not God. But God is God. 
And it's his faithfulness, it's his intimacy, it's his engagement with us, in spite of what might be going on right now at life, is where he meets us. And so this response would be, Lord, this storm is horrible, but knowing that you were here in your presence, that's all I need. I can trust you that you're not going to let me uh, be tempted beyond what I can take, that you're not going to batter me about, that I matter to you. And what I believe he was ultimately wanting to reveal to his disciples was this, that that we matter more to Jesus than our greatest need matters to us. Now, we have real needs, and they really matter to us, and there's nothing wrong with them mattering to us. That's how we, when we bleed, we bleed, okay? I, there's, I take nothing away from any of this. They needed food. They needed deliverance on the water. This is true. Nothing wrong with it. But was that all it was? Was the sum total of their faith just that they would receive the outcome that they can see, that they need, that they crave? Or was it an understanding of my life is not my own, it is broken, I'm not going to be able to shore this up the way I want, and I can let this go, that God can do something so far beyond. And whether he leaves me out on a stormy sea, whether he feeds the multitudes and they love me, or they hate me, or any other outcome that I expect, life doesn't have to equal God. But I, in, the, in the, the brokenness of life, in the fragility of life, in the sinfulness of life, I can have the light shine so much greater in the darkness in my heart. I can allow God to want to reveal himself to me and allow him to reveal himself to me when it doesn't go my way, when his grace needs to be sufficient because he hasn't removed this, when he hasn't brought in what I think he should or want him to, that he knows better, he loves me more, And that I could say, I matter more to him than this need matters to me right now. And that's where I can rest. Not on the outcome, but the one who's holding me. And I don't have to wait for this to be fixed for me to know God more or to trust him more or or to obey him more. But in in the opportunity where it can go either way, that is where intimacy is built. There's a beautiful hymn in Exodus 14 singing the, the, the praises of God once he delivered the um, Israelites from the Egyptians. And God says this great tune, great message, snappy beat, I can dance to it, but it's a couple chapters too late. Because when it was unknown how God was going to answer, what was only known was who they saw God so far, they didn't believe him. You've got to prove yourself to me first and save us, then we will worship you. Rather than, I worship you no matter what's going to happen. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember, we're looking at uh, Daniel chapter 3. We're not going to bow down to you because there's one God, and we know him, and he knows us. And even if he doesn't deliver us, even if he smokes us up quickly in this furnace, we're still not going to bow down because our hope isn't in the outcome, isn't in smack talk, isn't saying how God's going to do this, but our hope is that God's going to do what God's going to do, and it's the very best thing for us and for you, and I'm at peace with it because their lives were not their own. And that was the freedom that Jesus craved for his disciples, that they wouldn't be bent on outcome and immediate answer and has to and can't and ought, but they could take a step back from that and from themselves, let the defenses and the expectations lower that God could invade their life, that they could be known by him. And that intimacy would be so sweet and so missed when it isn't there and so craved that all the other things, uh, they, they, they fade away in the bargain. This is the trajectory we're going to see as we continue to look at John. And this is the understanding we have to have. Why? Because Mark tells us this. Their hearts were hardened because they didn't understand the lesson of the bread. And that's why they were astonished when Jesus approached them in the boat.
So please read John chapter 6 in its entirety. Um, We need to understand these two lessons first because that's not ultimately what chapter 6 is about. It's what we're going to look at next week. Okay, we need to let go of the expectations to really hear what the Spirit is saying. And so this is the uh, the prequel, if you will, uh, in, in, in working this through. If you've heard nothing else, hear this. We have very real needs. Very real needs. And I, I, I'm familiar with many of them, not all of them that you have. And they hurt, and they're thorny, and they're difficult, and they're giants in the land. And you are right to, to, to resist them. You're right to push against them. You're right to so want God to do something about this. But is that where we wind up in our faith? Or is that our jumping off point into who God wants to be to us from there? Let's pray. For God, I thank you that we are frail vessels. Not that we are unimportant, not that we are just of no value, not that we're dispensable or disposable or replaceable. Nothing could be further from your truth. You demonstrate through your persistent and consistent action how much you value us, how precious we are. But we are fragile, we are limited. We get stuck We get hurt, we get scar tissue, we scab over. So, Father, to the extent that I or any of us have have just in, in trying to balance lives that we can't balance and pain that we can't manage, have seen you as the answer to the problem and nothing more. Uh, To see that life has to go this way in order for you to be true. Help us to look beyond that. That we would see you far more for who you are rather than who we need you to be or who you want, we want you to be. Because who you are is exactly who we need, how you have made us, what we crave at the bottom of all the other things that drive us. So we thank you, Father, that you continue to reveal yourself to us in the storms of life, in the victories of life, in all points in between. Not to prove yourself to us, not as another apologetic reason to go to bat with uh, evidence for the gospel, but that we would know for our own reason, on our own terms, in our emotions, that we matter to you more than our greatest need matters to us. We can trust you, you are worthy, and you love us. In Christ's name we pray, amen.